ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Was I scaring you a little bit, Eric? You looked frightened there for a second. Well, I, I saw I saw you talking, but I couldn't hear you. I I muted myself. I was actually I realized I still had music playing on my Google Home. Oh. And I, I still had I had my headphones on. I'm like, where's that music coming from? I'm like, oh. I had to mute myself for a minute, tell Google to shut up. <laughs> All right. We got a uh, fun show in front of us. Um, I, I love my Google Home, by the way. I, I know they're spying on me. I know when I have a conversation about dog food with my daughter and all of a sudden Amazon's popping up ads about, or and I don't maybe it's not Amazon. I start seeing ads online for dog food. Like, yep. I know that's not by accident, but I don't really care. It's super convenient. It's super fun. I have several of the speakers around my house. They all hook together. I can have music playing throughout my house all day. It's wonderful. I love it. With uh, with with ours, I figured out that my a couple of my kids have it, and I figured out that uh, I can actually speak to them in their bedrooms. Yeah, and you they do. Uh, they, they, the they didn't know. Thing. They they they, yeah. they they didn't know where I was coming from. Yeah, so it was nice. Yeah, Scary. my daughters have it. Um, I got my daughter one because she likes to she likes to listen to music. Um, my uh my my ten year old she likes to listen to music, and then um she could set her own alarm with it too. She really right. likes doing that. Yep, you know, so she just talks to it and. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And, yeah, they're spying on us, but... I don't care. I don't care. No. Nope. I'm not doing anything all that interesting anyway. Uh, all right. We got a good show coming up. At 1 o'clock, North Dakota's First Lady is going to be on the program, Eric. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I think so. Uh, they have a um, another of the uh, Recovery Reinvented uh, 2018, uh, another event coming up. Um, it's going to be on... Uh, uh well gosh no now I don't even see the date here. Uh it's the upcoming recovery reinvented 2018. Oh here it is September 5th at the Fargo Civic Center. I I knew that was the date. I just didn't, I didn't want to say it wrong. A uh, recovery reinvented 2018. I had it all down here on the piece of paper and of course like, I have trouble reading my own handwriting. Um yeah Wednesday September 5th 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Fargo Civic Center. Recovery reinvented 2018. Lots of stuff now. Governor Burgum the Burgum administration started this. They've made progress. Eric, I mean, they've. I, I feel like we are making real demonstrable progress on this issue in our state. I think it helps that that uh, the first lady is able to take away a lot of the uh, stigma that that is yeah. attached to it. Well, I think I think when someone of her stature could come out and say, "Hey, this is something that I've struggled with," right? This is something that I've had a problem with personally. You know, maybe other people feel comfortable saying, you know, it's a problem for me, too. And people who struggle with this are not necessarily bad people. They're just people. Mm -hmm. They're facing a problem. We know how to help them. We know how to treat them. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for everybody, but it can work for a lot of people. And we can do a lot of good. So we're going to be talking about that coming up at 1 o'clock. Also, and I, I guess the themes are fitting, We, as we talk about addiction and recovery in this state, we also have a ballot measure to legalize recreational marijuana. It's going to be Measure 3 in November. Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney has been somebody who's out criticizing it. Uh, and I, I I think it's fair to say at this point there are some significant problems with the measure. If, if this measure passes, the legislature is going to have to make some fixes on it. I, I think there's just no question about it. And, and as a matter of fact, when I've had the measure organizers on the program, they kind of see that as a feature of their measure, not a bug. Um, although they they dispute some of the some of the claims being made by critics, um, you know they they've acknowledged all along that they fully expect that the legislature is going to have to fill in the holes, going to have to you know 
engage in some work to to fit this legalization into our existing code and you know there's a lot of questions that we got to be answered around the edges of this thing but um you know i think the larger question is should should recreational marijuana be be legal and i i mean that that's going to be my question for sheriff laney eric is setting aside the way measure three specifically goes about legalizing it if he sees any benefit to legalizing marijuana at all um and I, I say that uh, one one statistic I wanted to run by him. Uh, there was just an article. Where do I, I got it here somewhere. Uh, I don't know. Where is it? No, I can't find it. it, it the article basically was one in seven uh, Americans have tried marijuana in 2017. One in seven Americans tried marijuana. Here it is. One in seven Americans used marijuana in 2017, according to Reuters. Uh, Reuters report with more and more states legalizing marijuana, whether for medical use, recreational use or both increasing numbers of Americans are using cannabis. A new survey finds that one in seven had used marijuana in 2017 with smoking being the most common manner of consumption, according to a report published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. So that's interesting. Um, and I, I think that's only going to change. I, honestly, I, I think whatever you may think of, of marijuana that's where we're going. Like legalization is where we're going, and so I, I think there's a there's a part of me even even if you and I'm I'm one of them. I have no interest in in using marijuana, purchasing marijuana. Not that interested in it. Uh, but I think it's coming, and I think that you know we may as well get on this train and start figuring it out now because it's it's going to be here eventually. So I, why put it off? But anyway, Cass County uh, Sheriff uh, Paul Laney is going to be on. Uh, to talk about, you know, some of the practicalities of this, because it's it's people like him who are going to, you know, be where the, the rubber meets the road on this issue. So we'll talk about that coming up as well. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. we got a couple other issues we could talk about. Uh, approval voting is going to be on the ballot for Fargo in November. And yeah, this has been a cantankerous thing. I think I think Fargo liberals have been upset because – they see candidates like Tony Gehrig. They see candidates maybe like Tony Grinberg. Uh, they see these candidates winning elections for local government in Fargo because basically the the left-wing vote, the liberal vote, the left-of-center vote, if you will, is diluted among several candidates. And so conservative candidates keep winning. I, I absolutely think that's what's motivating this. I, th- I think there's there's a group of people who ideologically who are upset with the outcome of some of the elections, and they want to change the way those elections go. So they want to go to approval voting, which is basically you vote for as many candidates as you want, and then the candidates who get the most votes win, which I think is silly. I think it ought to be one person, one vote, and uh, and that's the way it is. And if you have a problem with, with candidates pulling votes from one another, well, then maybe the factions behind those candidates should get together and figure something out. But I think approval voting sounds like a bad idea. Uh, and by the way, speaking of the Fargo City Commission, I liked this from Fargo City Commissioner Dave Pepcorn. This just came out before the show. Ross Torgerson wrote the article uh, for the Fargo Forum. Uh, Fargo City Commissioner Dave Pepcorn is out, and uh, he wants to raise fines for bike riders who violate traffic laws. Uh, currently, uh, he says he calls the current $5 fine ridiculous, according to the report. Uh, he says, uh, this is from Pepcorn now, I quote, I think there's no surprise that a lot of bicyclists don't really don't really follow traffic laws like I wish they would. Uh, and now 
And now that you know that they have $5 fines, why would you? So basically he's arguing there's not enough consequences for bicyclers who don't follow traffic laws. And I, I got to tell you, it's frustrating, dude. Like I, I like, you know, people like to ride their bikes or whatever. Hey, I'm not judging. It's not my thing. I don't, I, I'm for facilitating that to the greatest extent possible. But I'll tell you, the people who ride bikes in traffic that I see are discourteous. I mean, and that's just, I realize that's an anecdote. I'm not trying to paint with too broad a brush. Uh, but they don't do a very good job in traffic of, of signaling where they're going. I, I see them, they're, they're cutting vehicles off. Um, it's, it's not a good situation. They blow through stop signs. They don't, they don't follow the, the traffic laws that everybody else on the road. I, I don't understand it. I mean, if you want to ride your bicycle in traffic, you got to follow traffic laws. So that's an interesting thing as well. Uh, we could talk about that. Uh, your phone call, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Um, but I had to get to this. Identity politics, Eric, I don't know if you've listened to the program much or, or read. I, I, I am not a fan of identity politics. Um, I'm not a fan of identity politics because I feel like they just we just put people into groups. Right? I feel like people should be treated like individuals. Right? Like, you're Eric. Like you're not, you're not a white man. You're, I mean, you obviously are a white man, but uh, you're, you're Eric, right? You're an individual. You have a unique set of life experiences. You have a unique set of skills. Uh, you are who you are. You're Eric, and we ought to consider you as Eric, not the color of your skin or your, your, you know, gender or your religion or your politics or whatever. You're just an individual. Those yep. things all add up to you, but you're you. Yep. Um, identity politics is is about putting people in groups, and I don't like that. However, identity politics is very big among our Democratic friends, and there's some absurdity going on. I actually wrote my Sunday column about this, just turned it in earlier today. Uh, But the Democratic National Committee, because they're going kind of through the the reorganization process, the Democratic National Committee, uh, and you may have heard some news out of this, you know, the stuff about the superdelegates, right? The the Democrats had like a class, sort of an Orwellian thing, right? Like like a class of party elite, people like elected officials and stuff, whose votes were more equal than, than other just sort of rank-and-file Democrats. That was kind of weird. Uh, so they did some stuff with that. Um, oh, they, they walked back a ban that the National Party had put on accepting contributions from the, the fossil fuel industries like oil and coal folks. They walked that back, uh, probably because they're hoping to win some elections in parts of the country where the fossil fuel industry is kind of important to the economy. Like, you know, I don't know, North Dakota? Right. A place where maybe Democrats hope they win election this year. Uh, so they walked that back. But one weird thing that they've done here, this is from uh, Jack Crow writing at National Review. He writes, I quote, members of the Democratic National Committee voted on Sunday to modify its charter to define gender as being something determined by self-identification and to include a classification for gender non-binary members. Fine, whatever. Here's where it gets weird, though. The previous charter required that all committees be divided evenly among between men and women, but the new even the newly adopted system committees quote shall be equally divided as practicable between men and women determined by self by gender self identification, meaning that the variance between men and women in the group cannot exceed one. So essentially, what they're saying they're saying two things. They're saying all of our committees, all of our party committees, like you know, like the rules committee and all this stuff that gets together and does all the bureaucratic work necessary for a national organization like the Democratic Party to operate. All of these committees have to be as equal as possible, right? Fifty-fifty men versus women. 
And there can't be a variance of more than one. Like if there's an odd number of people on the committee, the variance can't be more than one between the genders. But also, right, and that's just straight up identity politics, right? That's just straight up men and women. We're going to treat these people not as individuals but as cogs in, in, in the part of a larger group and basically treat them like they're, they're interchangeable, which I think is obnoxious on its face. But here's the additional thing. Here's where the identity politics gets absurd because in terms of gender, they're now saying the identity situation is fluid. That we're creating in a situation where we're, we're we're engaging in identity politics, in a situation where identity is based on self-identification. So if you want to if you want to walk into the committee hearing and say that you're a woman, and you're biologically a man, I I, I guess they have to recognize that. It's just I mean to me this just seems Byzantine. Right? I mean, already the identity and, and, and the competing grievance mongering from all the different victims groups or whatever that are central to democratic politics in the United States of America. As a matter of fact, the democratic politics that Democrats in places like North Dakota, people like Heidi Heitkamp and Max Schneider and, and those people who are running for office here in North Dakota, that they like to eschew, that they like to pretend like they're not a part of that national organization, even though they are. It's become so Byzantine that it's come full circle, right? We're, we're, we're splitting people up into groups based on their gender, based on their race, based on their religion. We're, we're putting all these people in all these different groups. And now we're starting to say that even your, your membership in some of these groups is completely up to you. If you want to identify as a woman, you can. If you want to identify as a man, you can. If you want to, and by the way, here's another weird thing. Uh, again, quoting from Jack Crow at National Review. Additionally, gender non-binary members will count as neither male nor female while the remaining gendered members will be divided evenly between male and female, meaning you can just get a get out of jail. Like, if you want to be on a committee and your gender's a problem, you can just play a gender get-out-of-jail-free card and just say, uh, I'm non-binary. I don't identify as either gender. I don't even count towards the quota. How absurd is this? I mean, this is a real thing. This isn't something out of some absurdist novel about politics. This is a real thing that's happening today. And I don't have a problem with people who are transgender. And I don't have a problem with how people want to identify or anything. I'm just saying that for the purposes of serving on a committee, none of that should matter. You shouldn't be judged on your gender. Full stop. It's absurd. Anyway, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAYM, 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Now, I, I don't want people to get confused. I am not ranting about uh, being upset about how people want to identify themselves in terms of their gender. Uh, I am a, a straight white male. That's how I see the world. I'm not judging people who uh, feel differently about that. You know, teach their own. There are many paths to happiness and prosperity. I'm not one to judge. Uh, so if that's your thing, if that's who you are, whatever, man, l- let your freak flag fly. That, that, that's not it. Uh, I'm not judging that. Uh, my problem is that the absurdity of identity politics, the absurdity of of treating people not as individuals, but as though they're just they're just members of groups, right? Like like your whole like we're we're considering some committee, like we're the Democratic Party, and there's some committee. I don't know. It's the it's the, it's the party planning committee, right? You like my little subtle office reference there? Yeah. Party planning. Committee. Yeah. Yeah. So I make the big bucks. The um. So you're on the party planning committee, whatever, and and now suddenly your, your your qualifications for whether or not you get to sit on this committee hinge on which identity group you're a member of. 
I, I find that obnoxious. I find that offensive. Now, listen, I'm, I'm all about, like, being inclusive, right? I'm all about, you know, not, I mean, that, that's how you build successful political movements, not by subtracting people from your movement, but by adding to it. So I get, I get the idea of wanting to be inclusive, but, I mean, when we're talking about a specific committee, I, I just, maybe you want to consider the people who do the best job. Maybe you want to consider the people who have the right set of skills. And if on a given committee they all happen to be, I don't know, women, or they all happen to be Hispanic people for whatever reason, fine, so be it. Or if they're all transgendered people or or non-binary people or whatever it is, so be it, fine, okay, whatever. If they're all the best people for the job, great. But if we're trying to, like we said in, in, in stone, like these arbitrary goals, we got to quit. No, each committee has to be exactly 50-50 gendered. That's stupid. Like, that's, that's, that's stupid. I mean, and the, the intentions aren't stupid, right? The, the idea that, oh, we want to make sure that, that, that all genders are, are allowed to involve. We want to make sure that women are included and men are included and, and people who maybe uh, identify somewhere between those two binary, you know, t- t- traditionally binary positions. Uh, we want to make sure they're all included. Okay, well, fine. That's that's fine. That's great. That's fine. But I I don't I don't know that you're doing that. I mean, how do you think an individual feels? And this is the problem because I don't think anybody on the left thinks about this from an individualistic position. How do you think an individual feels if if it's like you 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 want to sit on some committee and you want to wield that influence, you want to be involved in that way, and they're like, oh no, you can't be on because you're a man and we already have enough men. It kind of feels like you're being discriminated against because of your gender. And then and then just, just you add in the whole thing, well, your gender is whatever you say it is. It just adds a whole other level of absurdity. It shouldn't matter what your gender is. It shouldn't matter what your race is. I thought that was the goal. I mean, this is a problem. People say, well, race issues have gotten worse in 2018. I, I agree with that. Racial issues, gender issues, and I think part of the problem is the, the people who have been telling us that they're out to fix these problems for all of these years are now some of the people who are the worst offenders when it comes to treating people differently based on things like gender, based on things like race. And we, we have college campuses now that are wanting to segregate people by gender. They're wanting to segregate people by race. Like, oh, we want to create a dorm that's all people of one race. What? I mean, what was it? We had like a Supreme Court case about this. I remember Southern racists trying to block black people from going to school to stop integration. And now we've come full circle where segregation is cool again. Are you kidding me? That's the world we live in today. It's very, very weird. All right, we're going to take another break. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAYM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Let's switch gears. Approval voting. It's going to be on the ballot for citizens of Fargo, or it should be as long as all their signatures check out. I have no reason to doubt that they will. Uh, what do you think of approval voting? Is it something you support? I want to hear from you. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. We, um, before we get, I wanted to talk a little bit about the approval voting thing, but I, I just got, have you seen this story, Eric, out of uh, Texas about the uh, distressed woman who rings the doorbell? They got video of her. Have you seen this? It is, it's creepy. 
What is she? She's ringing doorbells. Well, I, apparently, I guess she rang several doorbells like in the middle of the night. She rang several doorbells in this this um, neighborhood in Texas. Uh, one of them had one of those like ring doorbell things or one of those nest or whatever. You know, they got the camera on the doorbell, right? right. So somebody yep, rings yep. your doorbell. You could see who's there, right? Um, she's she's partially clothed. Like she's wearing like a long T-shirt. And it doesn't look like anything else. Um, and she's also got like shackles on her wrist. Like it looks like she's got like part of a handcuff or a manacle or something on her, li- her wrist she looks upset like she wanders out of the bushes and then she rings this doorbell and she wanders off and nobody knows who this person is and i guess several people in the neighborhood had their doorbells rang at the same time and so now they're thinking was this a woman who was being held captive who escaped for a while it's creepy though like you look up look up the video i, I it's I saw it this morning. It just popped up again during the break. I was scanning some of the news feeds, and it popped up again. Every time I see it, I just get a chill down my spine that this is somebody who's out there. Because we hear about this, right? We hear about, you know, people who abduct women or serial killers or whatever, hold people captive. You know, what is this? Uh, It's just creepy. And what would you do if she rang your doorbell? I mean, do do you let her in? you got to continue living in that neighborhood. Like, you're looking around like... Which one of my neighbors has like a dungeon, you know, right. hidden in the basement? Yep. That's what I'd be thinking. I mean, just, just talk about just shattering. I mean, you got your normal everyday existence. You're out in the neighborhood. You know, people are mowing their grass. Kids are riding their bikes. Everything's normal in sunlight. And you're wondering behind which one of these houses is something just horrible, awful, evil happening. That's what it makes me wonder about. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's like something straight out of a novel. It was frightening or a horror movie. Ugh. Ugh. All right. Uh, let's, um, let's, uh, let's keep going here. Uh, approval voting. What do you think about this, Eric? I also think that's going to be a mess too. Um, and and I, I think the onus is like you said on the political parties to make sure everybody's communicating together and to work together as a party. So you may have to ask people to, to step, step aside. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, this isn't, this isn't a partisan ballot, right? I mean, this isn't. And these this is, these are technically nonpartisan positions, but I mean, let's it's politics, so of course, it's ideological. Honestly, I, I think what's happening here, I think that there is a faction of Fargoans that are upset because they're generally left of center. They haven't been winning local government elections, and so now they want to change the system to accommodate them so that they're more likely to win. I think that's what's going on here. And my my rebuttal to that is organize better. Quit running candidates that are similar to one another. I mean, this this is the problem. I mean, they say, well, you know, what what sort of a mandate does a city commissioner have who only got 25, whatever the percentage is, 25% of the vote, right? They got the plurality, but they split the vote with, like, six other people or whatever the number was. I mean, that's that's their argument. Like, well, that person doesn't have a mandate to govern. Well, they kind of do. They want a plurality. You know, and if, and if you've got a problem with the way that works – you know, organize better. Quit running candidates that are so similar to one another. They're splitting the factions of votes. I mean, p- people in the United Eric, people in the United States complain all the time about the two-party system. Um, this sort of an outcome is why the two-party system was created, right? Elections sort of lend themselves to this sort of thing. The problem is, you get into a three-way election. Two of those candidates are probably going to be battling over the same faction. 
neither of which likes the other one, right? I mean, one one candidate, depending on you know the ideology of all the respective candidates, but two of those candidates are going to pull votes away from one another, and they're going to dilute one another's base of support, throwing the victory to the third candidate. This is why the two-party system exists. And it's not even really a system. It's just sort of organically. All political organizations have the same level of, of access to the ballot, right? The rules are the same for everybody. It's just that generally, um, you know, political movements become monolithic because that's the best way to win. And so locally, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand why we've got to change the voting system locally so that a group of people who can't organize, organize themselves better to, to create more of a consensus around a single candidate or to just run a single candidate, why we've got to change the, the, the voting system to accommodate them. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Love to hear what you think. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. I don't like this approval voting thing. I, I think if we were going to do anything, we should just go off to a runoff system. Right. Everybody votes for one candidate like usual, except maybe you hold a second election with the top, you know, two vote getters or whatever and hold a second election. Then, you know, maybe that's the better way to do it. I don't know. But this approval voting thing where basically you go down, you vote for as many candidates as you want. And then the candidate with the most votes uh, gets in. I, I think that's ludicrous. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Ken, you're on. What's up? Hey, three quick things about approval voting. I, I don't think it's been tried anywhere. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can point to any place where it's in existence, number one. Good or bad, I mean, that's, it, this would be certainly an experiment. Number two, I think this is almost more, in a perverse way, disapproval voting, because it's kind of like, I approve of you, I approve of you, I approve of you, but I disapprove of you. Those are the people that you're actually, you know, kind of turning the ballot on its head. You're disapproving of people and not giving them your approval. And it might be a yin and a yang thing. But the third thing, the election of Bill Clinton, I could argue may not have happened with approval voting because I think Ross Perot and George H.W. Bush, if you had approved of both of them, that probably would have put Clinton out. Yeah. No, that's... You're probably right, although, I mean, presidential elections, of course, I mean, there you're talking about the Electoral College, so that's not even a straight popular vote at the national level. So that's that's the dynamics there are a little bit different. But I, I think your point's well taken. Listen, I like the idea of one person, one vote. I, I, think, yeah. I think American democracy has been based on that. It's been working well for us for a long time. It's not working. Now, I, I would be willing to have a debate over – a uh, say a runoff system, right? We we do that in a lot of places, like, yeah, uh, like certain yeah. places do primary. I think I think Louisiana, yes. I think Louisiana even does it in like the their general election, right? I mean, don't usually we have uh, sometimes if if neither candidate got fifty percent of the vote, they'll hold like another runoff or something. I I, I don't know how well it works, but I mean we've done that elsewhere, and I like that. Like like you hold an election if nobody gets a simple majority uh, in the first one, then you hold a runoff and maybe you take the top two or the top whatever. I'd be willing to have a debate about that, but do it that way. But I don't want to get into a situation where we're getting away from one person, one vote. I, I just don't or want to do that. Shazam! What about a primary? I mean, I, you know, I know people are trying to keep keep away from Republicans and Democrats in in, in the city council, but well, let's you know. let's not kid ourselves. It's there. I well, I, 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 mean, I, I don't I don't like. it's not there. Of course, of course, there's leanings, and, and and it's not too hard to. to to get out the divining yeah. rod and figure it out. No, but it's also not an any kind of primary where you get you get an endorsed candidate. 
I don't I don't know what what we're doing ourselves when we have these nonpartisan offices. I don't know that we're doing ourselves any favors with that. If anything, I think that just makes the ideology of the people running for these offices less transparent. Well, I think the um, argument might be let's just do the city business and not pull in, in into Trump and, and culture wars and, and, and you know, do you, you know, are, are you a Hillary person yeah, and are, are you a Trump person? Because you're just running the city. You're, I mean, you, theoretically, you're yeah. trying to get the garbage picked up and the, and the clean water. So. Yeah, I yeah, but, but I mean, listen, I, I, I think at all levels of government, ideology, I mean, sometimes people treat ideology like it's a dirty word. Uh, I don't have a problem. It's just it's just a philosophy, right? Like I have a philosophy towards governing, and I think that's as important as budgeting for the city versus budgeting for the country. Like I, I think that's important wherever you are about the roles of government and everything else. I, I think that's always important. But I, points well made, Ken. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. What do you think of approval voting? It's going to be. Assuming all their uh, all their the uh, and the organization that's pushing this, they're called Reform Fargo. Uh, they needed one thousand three hundred forty nine signatures to get, I, I guess, what's going to be called Measure One on the ballot. They gathered one thousand nine hundred fifty eight, of which thirty five were eliminated uh, because they were duplicates or were from out of town residents. Um, the city sent postcards to all the remaining people who signed the petition, asking them to affirm that they had signed. So the city's already gone through and all this. It's going to be Measure One on the ballot, and. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't like it. I don't think it's a good idea. What do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Talking about this approval uh, voting issue. It's going to be measure one on the ballot in Fargo. Uh, they, uh, they got the requisite signatures. They gathered almost 2000 signatures total, although some of them were disqualified, about 35 were disqualified, uh, which is, which is not unusual for ballot measure movements. Um, but, uh, it's, it's going to make it. So basically, uh, local city elections are, are settled through approval voting, which basically you go in, you vote for as many candidates as you want. And then the candidate with the most votes wins. So that means if you have multiple candidates who you like, and, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to split your vote. Among them, you know, I, because basically, I mean, if there's multiple candidates you want, you can give your vote to all of the candidates you like and none of the ones you don't like. <clears throat> and and the idea there is, is it's just going to work better. and We're not going to have candidates, you know, becoming city commissioner with 25 percent of the vote. I don't have a problem with somebody becoming city commissioner, 25 percent of the vote. Uh, if, if they win the plurality, so be it. Or the majority of the case, the case may be. Uh, anyway, what do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Joe emails, he goes, Rob, approval voting has two big problems. It breaks the one-person, one-vote standard, and it promotes block voting and partisanship. If they want to get a better mandate and better understanding of voters' desires, then the ranked ballot accomplishes voter mandate while preserving one-person, one-vote. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's wrong with just the way, what's so wrong with just the way we're doing it. I, I mean, I, I don't think that there's a problem with the electoral process, right? And I, I've had... I've had this discussion with, um, you know, some of my friends uh, in the North Dakota Libertarian Party, right? I'm not a member of the North Dakota Libertarian Party, but I know some people. Some of them are good people. Uh, and I've talked to them about it, and they complain about ballot access, right? And they say, oh, we have such a hard time getting ballot access, right? As a matter of fact, their Secretary of State candidate, uh, the reason why he's been fighting this, you know, this legal challenge and everything about the number of signatures that he got on the ballot, he didn't get enough 
by the official results, there's there's a recount going on, but by the official results, he didn't get enough ballot uh, signatures to appear on the general election ballot or enough votes in the primary to appear on the general election ballot. Um, Eric, under North Dakota law, if a political party doesn't have somebody get you know enough votes, they don't get automatic ballot access anymore. So what they got to do is they got to go out and they got to collect signatures to get their political party to have ballot access again to where, you know, your candidates will appear on the ballot with their party designation there. That's a whole thing, and they complain about that all the time. And my rebuttal to them is, you know, the requirements are are the same for the Democrats and the Republicans. You're basically telling me that it's hard because you haven't built enough of a party, right? You haven't built enough of an organization that you can maintain ballot access. That's your problem. That's not the system's problem. Right? I don't, I don't think we should change the rules because your political movement's not that popular. And I think the same goes for this approval voting situation. I don't think we should change the rules because left-of-center Fargoans who want to elect left-of-center people to the Fargo City Commission can't get their, their, their stuff together enough to, uh, to, to build consensus around one candidate who can get a plurality of the votes. Get better organized. Do a better job. But don't tell me, oh, we got to change the rules. No, you don't, we don't need to change the rules. The rules are fine. There's nothing wrong with the rules. The status quo is fine. You're not winning elections. That's your problem. Figure it out. Quit running candidates that are so much alike one another. Quit, quit diluting your vote by running so many candidates that are similar to one another that everybody just votes for all those candidates and none of them get over that, that threshold to where they can win. You know, that's, that's your problem. I, I, don't, I don't like the idea, Eric, that because that's, that's what's driving this. I think that's what's driving this. It's a certain faction of voters in Fargo that can't get organized enough to put a candidate up over the top. That's, that's not a bug in the system. As a matter of fact, I think that's a feature of the system. I'm not sure people who aren't that organized should govern. Right? People who win elections get to govern. And elections, like them or not, I know a lot of people like to cast dispersion at politics, but elections do do a thing of showing us uh, people who can get organized, people who can articulate a winning message. Those are important things in politics where it's all about the art of persuasion. It's all about building coalitions, right? And so basically what we're being asked to do is to change the rules so that people who can't organize enough, People who can't build enough of a consensus, people who can't build a coalition, get to govern anyway. Well, no thank you. No thank you. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. I say leave well enough alone. Do you think this has anything to do with the notion, and I know a lot of people who feel this way, that, that he who has the most money wins, or she who has the most money wins? In I don't that, know. I in mean, that... Is that- I mean, uh, you you just you look at um, you look at signs up in people's lawns, and you can tell which people running for city commission have a lot of money, have a lot of donations, and are able to put up more signs or yeah. or more advertising. And, and the people who may be equally as qualified just don't have the funds to get their name out. See, but I don't I don't think because you got to look at it another way i I don't necessarily think that money if if money if money were the biggest factor in winning elections that donald trump wouldn't be president of the united states right now hillary clinton outspent him three to one donald trump's president um rick berg in 2012 outspent heidi heitkamp by a couple of million i think uh she's the united states senator today um i i don't i don't know that that's i don't i don't think that money's the issue i think um 
and, and also, I, I think candidates who are already popular, candidates who already have a broad base of support, tend to get more money to begin with. So it's almost like a self-selecting thing. You could say, well, they won because they got the most money. Well, maybe they won and got the most money because they're popular candidates that, you know, built a broad coalition of people willing to support them. You know, there's there's more than one way to look at that. No, I don't I don't think money's the problem, and, and particularly not in Fargo City Commission races. I mean, I, I will I will acknowledge. Uh, yard signs do become very important in local races just because a lot of times it's about name recognition. I mean, the, the unfortunate reality of local races is that not as many people are paying attention, not as many people are familiar with the candidates, and so a lot of them just vote for names they recognize. I think that's an unfortunate reality of, of local elections. All right, we're going to go. We'll come uh, right back. we uh, going to have First Lady Catherine Helgus Bergam on. She's going to be talking about the recovery reinvented 2018 event that's coming up at the Fargo Civic Center. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Over the past couple of years, we have been having a conversation in the state of North Dakota about addiction, about recovery, and what I think is a, a almost a sea change in the public attitudes about this i think in the past there was a lot of throw the book at him adam attitude in the past i think there was a lot of stigma attached to it uh we are trying to break through a, a lot of that and I, I i think in some ways being successful i don't i don't want to hang the mission accomplished banner by any stretch of the imagination but i think we're making progress um but to continue that progress there's going to be an event uh coming up next week wednesday september 5th at the Fargo Civic Center, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's uh, Recovery Reinvented 2018. Not the first of these events by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, another iteration of it. It's got some great speakers. Here to talk with me about that is North Dakota First Lady Catherine Helgus Burgum. Catherine, how are you? Hey, Rob. I'm great. Um, thanks so much for having me on your show today. Absolutely. What what, what can people expect from, from this year's event? Well, this year's event is going to really be a continuation of all the great momentum and inspiration from last year's event. Uh, this year's event is going to have three key themes, eliminating stigma. We're going to talk about the, the science of the chronic disease of addiction, especially related to the brain. And, and we're going to talk about building recovery support in communities across North Dakota. But we also have a ton of initiatives we're going to announce we're going to recognize award winners. We've got a few surprises. We've got creativity. We're going to have performance art uh, as another way to connect to um, addiction and really showcase uh, even people in recovery in our state uh, as part of the conference. So it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be fast-paced, a lot like a TEDx type of conference, uh, but there's and there's really a wide variety of people coming. Um, there's information for, you know, everyone. Uh, basically, you were sort of saying, you know, everyone is affected and impacted by addiction in some way. And, and so the topic is, is broad. And, and so we're super excited that we have actually almost a 1,000 people registered already for the conference. So um, clearly this is a topic that touches everyone. Oh, for sure. I and I, I think that's I think that's true. I think a lot of people are glad that we're talking about this. I think a lot of people are glad that it's being thrust into the spotlight. I think a lot of people are are, are glad for for your work on this specifically, um, and 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 what you've done, and and I think bravely sharing 
your story, which is not an easy thing to do or an easy thing to talk about by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I think a lot of people are wondering what I mean. What's been accomplished, you know, in the last year since the last time we've had one of these events? I mean, holding events and everything is good, but if they don't change anything, what's the point? So I guess that's the question. What's what's been accomplished? Right. Oh, boy. Well, there's a ton of things happening as a result of the conference last year, as a result of the, um, the conversations um, and initiatives. Uh, so, boy, like where to start? Um, so, you know, if I could do, if I just run through the list of things that that have that have, you know, that have been sure. happening, you know, we um, students from Minot State were so inspired by what they heard last year at the conference that they started a recovery movement on their campus with full support of their faculty and administration. So we actually have, you know, sober living groups and or I should say sobriety movements and, and recovery movements on campuses, not just at Minot, but happening on other campuses. Um, MHA Councilwoman, Dr. Monica Mayer, and Jenna Johnson, who's uh, in a role member of MHA, who's in recovery, uh, and their team opened the door, which is a community recovery lodge on Main Street in Newtown, to support those in recovery, really taking the lead in North Dakota to provide support for recovery in their community. Five days after recovery reinvented, a son's life was saved by parents that used Narcan, the overdose reversal drug that we handed out and that they received at recovery reinvented. 26 innovators submitted ideas for innovating recovery in North Dakota. Well, variety programs that are specific to Native American recovery have been started on reservations. Over 600 people have been trained through the Free Through Recovery Program um, as core co care coordinators or peer support specialists. And we actually now have a statewide team that's connected at a national level to SAMHSA and other groups um, that's comprised of North Dakota government employees, uh, legislators, including Senator Dick Dever, treatment providers, law enforcement, homeless shelters, and more to work on creating recovery support in communities. Uh, we started the Office of Recovery Reinvented through executive order with the mission to eliminate stigma. And so, you know, th those are some, those are, uh, some things that have happened that aren't even specific to all the other areas that we're taking advantage of, um, you know, federal funds that are targeting op the opioid situation. Um, and so there's just a lot, there's a lot happening. We also, you know, say, and Rob, you said at the beginning of the, um, um, you know, of, of this uh, program that, you know, you feel like things are changing. And a lot of people came up to me after the conference and said, you know, I feel like more people are talking about addiction and more people are talking about their recovery. And I started thinking, you know, well, you know, feeling and, you know, is one thing, but data really moves the needle. Data will get funding. And so, you know, we came up with this idea to do a survey to evaluate where we are in stigma to get a baseline to see, you know, how we you know, if we're really moving the needle. So we just completed a, the first ever survey. No other state has ever done this uh, to figure out where we are. And, and it, it revealed some pretty information, pretty interesting information, not only about, uh, you know, people that are, you know, sort of, well, I guess we included Native American population and those that aren't on our reservations. And so we have some really good information that I think is going to be super helpful uh, to, yeah. to, to, 
for us to really look at what direction we need to go in moving forward. And then we we can probably share that information as well at a federal level to see if that can help um, drive innovation and new programs as well. So well, I'm let me, so excited about that. Yeah, well, that's 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 a lot. I got more than I bargained for with that question, but that's a good thing. Uh, that, <laughs> okay. That's what we want, right? Uh, well, let me let me ask you this. I mean, are, are other states doing this? I mean, I, I look around and I, I, you know, I'm always trying to pay attention to what's going on in other states because I think sometimes, I think that's one of the features of our republic is you can look at what another state's doing and say, hey, that that might work here, or, or oh my gosh, that's working terribly. We better not do that here at all. Um, so are other states doing this? I mean, are we emulating, are we, are we breaking new ground here? We're totally breaking new ground in a lot of ways. Our free through recovery program is super innovative. You know, we're breaking ground because we're trying to measure where we are and stigma. Um, we, other states are really, because they have to, you know, they're focusing on the opioid situation because they have so many people dying, you know, at alarming rates. We definitely have an opioid. You know, opioid's an issue because it just takes lives and people become addicted so quickly. You know, in our state, we have a bigger issue issue with meth amphetamines, um, both on our, you know, on our reservations and off our reservations. And so, you know, so we, so I would say that when I go to all these other conferences where all the other governors are, there's always a conversation related to addiction and the opioid situation. So we're able to learn from other states. I wouldn't say as many other states are specifically focused on eliminating the stigma as the key to unlocking the door that's a barrier for people to reach out to help, to get help, or to, you know, to find I think it's unfortunate. I think I think it's such a barrier. It's so hard to talk about, and and you're so afraid. And I, and I think even more so where we have um, social media, which is a whole my my feelings about social media. I could feel a whole whole show about, but I I feel like everybody's kind of. It's like these days we're all kind of starring in our own little reality shows, right? And we're all expected <laughs> to be posting pictures of ourselves and happy go lucky everything. And it's I I feel like the average citizen feels like there's more of a spotlight on them than ever before. And a lot of what you see on social media is baloney, right? I mean, people, everybody's, oh, boy, everybody else's life is perfect and my life's not perfect. I must be doing something wrong. And in reality, listen, their lives aren't perfect either. But we're all living in these little reality shows. I think that's, I think that's hard. I think it's hard to say, you know what? I've got a problem with alcohol or I've, I've, I've I developed a problem. I got hurt and then I got addicted and, and now I've got a problem. Uh, with 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 pills, that's that's a tough thing for people to just say. Like, like listen, I I got to take some time off, and I got to get healthy. It's the thing that they should do. We all agree that it's what they should be doing, and yet if they admit that they're doing it, they get judged for it. I, I don't understand why anybody would think that's not central to addressing this problem. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's you know we we need to normalize the conversation around the chronic disease of addiction so that. People talk about it like they do diabetes or anything else that, you know, needs chronic treatment, needs consistent care, needs, you know, and so we, and we need to develop, I said this at the national governor's meeting recently that, you know, we're, we're very focused on opioids, which is really important, but we, we, you know, not at the risk of creating a lot of systems and processes focused around one drug when we just need a holistic approach in our healthcare system for the chronic disease of addiction, just like we do have holistic approaches for other diseases. 
So, you know, once we get there, when we get to the point where everybody's just talking about it and the elephant in the room is eliminated, then it just, it won't be this thing where you're a pariah, you know, or the lowest person in society because you have an addiction, which is just, it's just crazy. And it's just so unfortunate because I was just talking this morning about too many people that, you know, they, in the, in the throes of addiction, you know, while under the influence of substances, you know, take their own lives is one way to, you know, get, get out of the pain that they struggle with and suffer because they can't find recovery or they, they're too afraid to seek treatment. And so it's, to me, it's the, it is the key to unlock the door that will change, you know, revolutionary, you know, make a revolution in how we approach addiction. If we can just get rid of the stigma. I, um, we have, uh, I I want to I want to ask you one more question. I'm going to get to the logistics of of this event because I I think, uh, but but what I mean, what's the goal? I mean, obviously, I I think we have made progress, and I, we're gathering data, and it's, I mean, it's hard to quantify, but I mean, what's for the next year? I mean, as you hold this event, what would you like to see unfold for the next year to continue this progress? Right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna suggest a lot of opportunities for people to get involved and take action in their own lives. I mean, one of the first things that people can do is, is just really just talk about it. You know, don't, you know, don't make it be this and stop judging, you know, just stop judging people. You look at people like they have diabetes and not like they have something else, you know, unfortunately, you know, addiction comes with more negative consequences, but all of those negative consequences are removed when someone is in recovery. So, you know, I think those are the things. We also want people to really focus on creating opportunities for recovery support in communities. That's really where the model is changing right now. Um, You know, it used to be thought that you go to treatment, you know, and that's that's all you need. And then, you know, but, but it is a chronic disease, and it's not that, you know, when someone stops taking their insulin or has, you know, it isn't following their diet as a diabetic, you know, we don't sort of say, well, that's it. We're going to give up on you. You know, we, we try to chronic, you know, treat the chronic situation. So, you know, the one thing about treatment is, you know, it really, it really takes 90 days for somebody who has a severe addiction to, you know, really start to think clearly. And, and that, so treatment is a, is a uh, is a very expensive model that that may not work because you know we don't have the funding to cover it and et cetera. But so the model's really turning to meeting meeting people where they are in communities and and providing the support through peer support specialists and through recovery community organizations where people can you know be around the other people like them where they can yeah. find the support. So, Spe- you know, we're encouraging communities yeah. to, 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 to focus on that. Speaking of that, real quick, who, who should go to this event? And by the way, uh, the event, it's uh, right. Wednesday, September 5th. It's going to be at the Fargo Civic Center, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, I understand it's it's free to get in. Uh, it includes lunch. You do need to register in advance at recoveryreinvented.com. But people who are listening to this thinking, well, this is for this is for healthcare bureaucrats. This is for local pod. This isn't for me. Who, who, who should go to this event? Yeah, well, thanks, Rob, for giving the rundown on that. That was perfect. But you know what? It's We have a, a wide variety of people attending the conference. I mean, we've got everybody from law enforcement, education, healthcare, treatment providers. Um, uh, we've got uh, government leaders, emergency responders, Native American community. It's a – we're going to cover a wide variety of topics. So anyone and everyone impacted by addiction – 
will learn something. They'll learn what kind of action they can take in their lives and in their communities to, you know, to, to become an advocate and to make a difference for those that are struggling. And, you know, so more people will reach out and find help and, and more lives can be saved. So it's not just for healthcare providers or people that really are, you know, trying to learn about the addiction because we're going to have people that are, you know, in recovery. We're going to, there's going to be awards. There's going to be initiatives. Um, you know, we've got a lot of different people providing a lot of great information. So, and as you look at the groups of people that are registered, you know, a, a big majority of the people that are coming are just friends, uh, family members, or people struggling with addiction. But then we also have a, a lot of people coming from um, that. We have a lot of legislators coming. You know, we've yeah. got treatment providers, faith-based communities. It's just very uh, wide variety. Yeah, I, it's it's a good event. I, I like it. Uh, once again, the website's recoveryreinvented.com. Uh, you can find all the information there. The date of the event, it's, it's next week, Wednesday, September 5th, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. once again at the Fargo Civic Center. Catherine, thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me on your show, and thanks for um, you know helping us get the word out about this awesome conference. Thanks again. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's Catherine Helgus Burgum, North Dakota's First Lady. This is the Rob Report 970 WDAYM 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDAYM 93.1 FM. Hey, just to uh, promote coming up, uh, earlier in the program, we mentioned the, um, the bike finds thing that, uh, Fargo City Commissioner Dave Pepcorn had brought up. Um, he is actually going to be on, uh, Commissioner Pepcorn is going to be on the Jay Thomas show coming up here at two o'clock. So uh, you're going to want to stay tuned for that. That's the Jay Thomas Show starting immediately after this one, 205. Uh, Commissioner Pepcorn will be on with uh, with Jay. Uh, in the next segment, we're going to have Cass County uh, Sheriff Paul Laney on to talk a little bit about the recreational marijuana ballot measure. He doesn't think it's a great idea. Uh, we'll talk with him about that coming up next. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Eric, we are in the middle of uh, campaign silly season, right? Things just get crazy. Uh, this, I wanted to read you something. This is from the gubernatorial race going on in the, the state of New York. Uh, Cynthia Nixon, who is an actress, uh, you remember her from Sex in the City? Oh, yeah. I think she's probably most famous for Yep. Um, she's running against, uh, incumbent Governor Andrew Cuomo. And, uh, they're having, they're, they're trying to negotiate out a, a debate. And I don't think people realize how petty, when you're trying to set up these debates, how petty the candidates get. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm reading, this is from the Washington Examiner. I'm reading. Uh, as the two New York gubernatorial camp, uh, campaigns debate the conditions of their upcoming debate, um, Nixon is irked that the Big Apple CBS affiliate seems to be, quote, catering to all of the governor's demands, the New York Times reported Tuesday. And that would include giving Cuomo control over the temperature in the venue. According to an email leaked to the Times, Nixon strategist Rebecca Katz demands that the thermostat be set to a precise 76 degrees, invoking sexism to give the appeal added boost. Now, this is from the um, this is from the New York Times report. Miss Katz, and, and Katz is a uh, campaign strategist for the Nixon campaign. Miss Katz wrote that the working conditions are quote notoriously sexist when it comes to room temperature. So we just want to make sure we're all on the same page here, according to a copy of her email obtained by the New York Times. Ms. Katz said it on Tuesday. She had yet to hear back from WCBS-TV, and that 76 degrees was just an opening offer to ensure the temperatures were not uncomfortably cold. I, I can't imagine. If it was 76 degrees in that room, I would be dying. That's warm. Whether I'm on stage or not. That's, that's hot. I don't know if that's just a North Dakota thing. I like to be refrigerated personally as a native Alaskan. But yep, yep. 
76 degrees. Holy crap. But you believe they're fighting over this? Yeah. They're fighting over the temperature yeah. in the room. I can completely believe it because that's where politics has gone. I guess. All right. We gotta, we're going to take a break. Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney's on next. This is the Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. 701-293-9000. Email talk at WDAY. Dot com. Jay Thomas sent me a message with a break. He was talking about Cynthia Nixon, the gubernatorial race. He goes, maybe if Nixon ate a damn hamburger and put meat on her bone, she wouldn't be so damn cold. Yeah. Uh, that's the Jay Thomas Show, ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting 2 to 5 p.m. If you want to call into Jay's show, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. I'm not touching that one. Uh, all right, we're moving on. Our guest now, Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney. Sheriff Laney, how are you? I'm good, Rob. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. You are uh, winding your way down uh, into retirement, or I guess whatever comes next for you. You uh, a little bit. Of, I mean, I know you love this job, but are you uh, a little bit, a little excited? You know, I do. I love it with a passion, and a, a big part of my decision, uh, as I looked after having a 30-year career, and I can honestly say I haven't regretted one second of one minute and uh, of these 30 years. But you just as important as it is to know when you want to do this job. I think it's as important to know, uh, especially as an elected official, when it's time to go. And uh, I still love it, and that's why I thought that's a good time to go is when you still love it. Well, but before you go, uh, we do have a question that's going to be on the November ballot, Measure 3. It would uh, seeks to legalize recreational marijuana. Now, it, it does it in a very specific way, and I've had guests on previously who have been critical of it and, and talking about perhaps some unintended consequences from the language. But before we get into any of that, Sheriff, I, I just wanted to ask, just, just to make it clear on, on your position, is there any sort of legalization of recreational marijuana that, that, that you would support, or, or are your problems just with this specific measure you know with this what i'm going to say from a standpoint of, of a sheriff and where i'm at not only with this measure but with recreational marijuana you know we we as a society have the opportunity through our vote to control how we want our lives to be and how we want to live our lives what is important to me is the fact that 19,000 North Dakotans put their name on a signature sheet to say, I want to discuss this issue. I want to have a say whether this is legal or not. And that's what matters to me as a citizen. Uh, what I believe people should do is have a say in their lives, their quality of their life, and the things they want to do. It doesn't matter what the measure is. We as North Dakotans get to decide what and how we're going to live our lives. And then people like me go out and enforce those rules for them. So when I have an issue with something like this, when we go from zero to 100 and basically wipe out anything along the way with very little thought, very little input, very little uh, information, I get concerned. And you're not going to hear me at any time in this tell people to vote no or to vote yes. That's not my place to tell them this. My job as the sheriff of Cass County is to say I have concerns. As your elected law enforcement leader, as an expert in the field, I have problems with the way this is written. And what I want and what I'm asking people to do is don't blindly go in there and vote on what your, what your neighbor says or what your friend says who, who thinks we should legalize it or what your neighbor next door says who doesn't, doesn't think we should legalize it. Go educate yourself on this issue. Break it down. Listen to both sides. 
sides who talk about you got the one side Sanders that it doesn't intend to do that. You can still force UI laws. You have experts in the state of North Dakota that are attorneys in this state, not somewhere else, saying that's not what it does. It wipes out DUI enforcement. It allows you to grow as much as you want in your backyard. I'm asking people, you have a privilege to vote in this country. You have a privilege to vote in this county. Utilize that privilege educate yourself and then you vote your own conscience that's what i'm going well, to say uh, you, okay well you you, you mentioned some uh, and by the way if you want to call in 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com uh now and i, I realize you that, that you don't want to uh, my understanding from what you just said is, is your problem is sort of with with the process of the way this measure goes about legalization it's not really I don't hear you arguing against the idea of legalizing marijuana itself. What I'm hearing you saying is we have some unintended consequences here with the way this measure is written. Is that fair, or or, or do you need to correct That's me there? That's fair. I, I'm definitely okay. saying I don't want you to put words in my mouth saying I'm sure. in favor of recreational marijuana either because I'm okay. not saying that. I'm not okay. going to commit on a personal standpoint because I wear okay. the badge of the Cass County Sheriff, gotcha. and I'm going to okay. speak from that role. And and that's why you have me on the radio. You're okay, not fair talking right. to to Paul Laney, citizen. You're talking to Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney on this measure. And I gotcha. have huge concerns with this measure, Rob. Okay. I think well, let's let's get in. Well, let's up, let's get into uh, those concerns. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, let's let's well let's get into those concerns. What's your what's your top concern with this? I, I think one the enforcement end of it. The fact that you can drive as stoned as you want down the road, and there's you know for nonviolent offenses, numerous. Experts in this field in North Dakota have said we can't, we cannot enforce DUI laws. I don't think anybody wants somebody to be able to drive down the road stoned out of their mind. And you can argue all the effects. You can compare it to alcohol. You can compare it to whatever you want. I'm telling you, it impairs your driving. And if you are going to uh, take on that, that if you're going to drive impaired, there should be the ability for us to protect our public. It isn't so much well. You just want to go after and throw people in jail. No, I want to protect everybody motoring down the roadway so that they are safe. I don't care if they're going to the grocery store to watch a movie or to work. They should be safe from somebody who's made the decision to drive impaired and jeopardize their safety in their lives. And that's the point I'm coming from. So I have a huge issue with that. I don't like the idea that there's no amounts. I mean, you can, your next door neighbor could turn their backyard into a marijuana field because the zoning and agricultural laws don't apply anymore because it talks right in the, in the measure. Uh, and again, I rely on attorneys who interpret this. And in this state, we've had a number of them who have said it says exactly that. Mark Free said it right on, uh, on Jay Thomas himself that a number of what our concerns are are true in this bill and are in this measure. And that's what concerns me is people like People like the attorneys at the state level who say, yeah, guys, this is what it means. Uh, that concerns me. And, I, you know, I've heard from the proponents that, well, our award-winning attorneys, well, I'm going to step up and get on your show then, Rob. Have them yeah, talk to well, you. Ask, answer those questions to you and anybody else out there because you're not a North Dakota attorney. And, our, you know, the court system's already tough enough in North Dakota or in any other state when you are an expert in that state like these uh, people are. Uh, yeah. Come in and come in and, and and hash it out with them. If your attorney is so great, have them get yeah. on the radio with Park Freeze and and do battle. Or and we may we may well in North Dakota that that feels that they they have an opinion on that. So what I want because you know what that's going to do, Rob, that's going to educate the public, and that's what I'm asking here. Yeah. All of this conversation is good. If North Dakotans at the end of this day 
legalize recreational marijuana, and that's what the majority of North Dakota wants, then that's what's going to happen, and that's what we're going to enforce. But I have a took an oath to protect the public I serve, and I want to still be able to protect them. And this measure is so broadly written, it, it takes that ability to protect our public away from us, I believe. I, I don't think there's any question that if the measure passes, it's going to have to immediately be put on pause by the legislature so that they can go through and, and address a lot of the issues that, that you're talking about. Uh, I want to get to a caller, Jason. Jason, you're on with uh, Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney. Go ahead. I got a question. Why is marijuana Schedule One narcotic? You keep saying Schedule One narcotic, Schedule One narcotic, yet cocaine is a Schedule Three narcotic. How can that be? How is that well, even possible? That's 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 the federal government. Thanks for the call, Jason. I appreciate it. Great. That's the federal government. But maybe maybe for, for, from a law enforcement perspective, Sheriff Laney, I I realize you. you you don't have any control over this. You're not a policymaker. You enforce the laws it's written. But can you give us some insight in, into those classifications? You know, I, I really can't give you an in-depth class. I'm an FDA expert, sure. and I'm certainly not a, a federal narcotics officer. Um, you know, the scheduling is done, as you said, by the feds, how they yeah. do their research, how they do their science, how they apply that. I, I'm just not an expert in the FDA uh, and I'm not going to try to wing it for you and try to, to pull something and throw something out at you. So sure. I think he, he's got a valid question. I just don't have that answer for you because that's not my expertise. Yeah, fair enough. And I and I agree with you talking about because we have had, like like you said, Mark Freeze, who who has appeared on this program. He he's written guest posts for for my blog about this. I mean, he's and he's in, by the way in the criminal defense field. I mean, a lot of times Mark is somebody, uh, Sheriff Laney, who finds himself opposite from you uh, in in a lot of these cases, and, and he's. <laughs> And he, yeah, and so yeah. he's he's somebody who's out there saying, "Hey, wait a minute, uh, there's some unintended consequences here," uh, and I I happen to think he's right. Um, now, as 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 we move forward with this, though, uh, I, I mean, do, do you agree with that? I mean, because I the legislature is going to immediately have to step in if this thing passes. The legislature is going to have to fix this thing. They are. I think that just because there's going to be so many broad concerns, and you know, what, you're going to have people out there that say. Uh, you know, let's vote yes on this thing so we can get it in front of them and they can take the corrective action. I've never one of those. It's like, you know, I don't, I never, I didn't bring a paper before my professor that was garbage and then say, well, we'll try to fix it later next go around. I just, I just operate differently. I'm going to yeah. try to bring what's right for, for my people, right for the county, right for the state of North Dakota out the first time. And, you know, if this was a little bit tighter and it needed a little tweaking, maybe I could understand that comment or that, that, that statement a little more but this opens up so many issues on so many different fronts so why would we want to put something into play like that uh is my feeling initially let's you know if north dakotans want uh recreational marijuana i think we can start with baby steps uh you know and and study because you, you look at the states that do have it um you, there's both sides and what what's the truth you hear those that say not a thing's been done wrong my law enforcement world and, and the, the world that I'm in, they tell me a very, very different story. Uh, and so, and I have that act, you know, I, I'm on a national board. I serve for the National Sheriff's Association and I talk to those sheriffs and they tell a very, very different story and not one we're going to solve in the next two to three minutes we have here together. But that's my concern. And that's why, like I said, I'm not asking people to vote yes or no. What I'm asking you is ask those questions tune yeah. into these discussions tune in do your own research talk to the schools talk well, to I think your medical provider talk to yeah. your doctor talk to the people out there that have that knowledge and then when you walk in there november 6th make an educated decision on what you think is best for north dakota and you as a person and that well, and then we're going to live by whatever sure. that is because that's I, I, the beauty I, I, of our election process 
And I, I think I think that's an important thing to remember is we are not voting on the broad concept of whether or not recreational marijuana should be legal. We are voting on a very specific piece of policy that does very specific things to our 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 state statutes that I have not yet to hear a legal authority from the state of North Dakota comment on. Now I realize that that the proponents of this do have you know some lawyers from other states who have commented on this. These are not people who work with the North Dakota code. And and to me that's 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 troubling. Um, but this debate's going to keep going. And Sheriff Laney, I appreciate you coming on and uh, and sharing your point of view, of course. Yeah, and I appreciate that too. And I think one one really quick thing before we go is you know you talked about Mark Fries and, and law enforcement being on opposing sides a lot. We are. He's a defense attorney. We go out and build our cases and do our thing. But when you have us all, we also have a professional respect. I believe for what each other does. Well, sure. That's why I stand behind what he's saying. That man's an expert. He knows what he's talking about. And if if he's saying that and he's bringing that up, shouldn't we tune into that? And shouldn't we have those discussions and should. make an educated yeah. decision? That's all I I'm think asking we should. people. To yeah, do which so. is why I've, I've put Mark on the show multiple times. I've, I've published his uh, his writings about it on the blog uh, because I think I think he's insightful and I, frankly I think he's right. Sheriff Laney, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Have a great day. Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney, this is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Uh, just finish up our discussion with uh, Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney about the issue of uh, legalizing recreational marijuana. Emailer Jason uh, sends in a message, uh, says, uh, Rob, if marijuana passes the vote in North Dakota, when will it actually be legal? No one seems to know the answer. Well, th- there is actually an answer in the North Dakota State uh, Constitution, Article 3, Section 8. Uh, states an initiated or referred measure which is approved shall become law 30 days after the election. Uh, so whatever that works out to be, 30 days after uh, that Tuesday when we vote, is uh, is when it would become effective. Now, uh, sometimes ballot measures have language in them where they become effective on different dates. Um, now, I, I, I just, real quick, during the break, I looked up the recreational marijuana ballot measure and scrolled through it quickly. Unless I'm missing something, I don't see where they have anything in here that uh that that changes the effective date so uh the idea is that this it would it would take effect 30 days after it went into effect now what i expect to happen is if this if this thing passes probably one of the first actions you're going to see the legislature take when they come in um in um in early january is they will probably if this thing has passed they will probably delay its implementation uh and make some changes to it and I would expect that they're not going to – obviously, they're not going to reverse the legalization of, of recreational marijuana. In fact, I had uh, House Majority Al Carlson on the program not that long ago, and he that's that's pretty much what he said. Uh, but I think they are probably going to address some of these things. And and by the way, I should point out, the organizers of the measures have fully acknowledged that they, uh, they expect that the legislature is going to have to fill in some of the blanks here anyway. Um, now, they dispute the idea that there are problems such as, you know, the measure will legalize um, – impaired driving at least when it's when it comes to marijuana um the legislature uh, you know the organizer of the ballot measure deny that, that the legislature is going to have to fix some of those problems i i'm not so sure i think the legislature is probably going to have to address and clarify some of those things as well so as, as a as a legal matter ballot measures in north dakota take effect unless unless the measure itself says otherwise take effect 30 days after the election if they're approved um as a practical matter if this passes, I probably wouldn't expect uh, legal recreational marijuana in North Dakota until late next year, at the earliest. So that's um, the, the the legal the legal 
reality and then probably the, the practical reality there, Eric. Does that make sense? Well, they still got to figure out the medical marijuana stuff. And I would imagine yeah. that they would they would well, attack that, that first. That should that should be about the same time. Well, they they should have. It sounds like late like next year is when you know we're going to start seeing some of those dispensaries open. So I I think they're on the cusp of figuring some of that out. Now, the interesting thing is the interplay between those two policies because, I mean, on one hand, the the medical marijuana measure, which was a mess when it was on the ballot and had to be fixed by the legislature, it creates a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of restrictions around medical marijuana recreational marijuana kind of makes it i mean just leaves it wide open so you know the question is of the interplay between those two situations um and there's i mean there's a lot to consider too i mean we're an agricultural state i mean it's it's worth considering um you know letting people grow pot you know what is what does that mean if people start large-scale marijuana operations in the state of north dakota what does that mean for the ag commissioner's office are there things we need to regulate are there things about marijuana uh that that are risky to other crops grown in the state i don't know i'm not a horticulturist i'm not an expert on those things at all uh, but they're all things that have to be considered sometimes these issues are maybe not as as cut and dry and simple as as they're portrayed but anyway, that's it for me today. Jay Thomas Show, straight ahead. Uh, Commissioner Dave Pepcorn, they're going to be talking about uh, ticketing for bicycle riders. What do you think of that issue? That's coming up next, Jay Thomas Show. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDYM 93.1 FM or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at anythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.